Hello, everyone. Um, welcome. I'm Virginia Lovett. I'm the Melbourne Theatre Company's Executive Director and Co-CEO, and, and I'd like to welcome you tonight. Thank you for coming out on, on a wintry night uh, to this very special event we have, uh, which is a conversation with um, our new Artistic Director, Anne-Louise Sarks and Sally Sara. Um, before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that we are on the lands of the people of the Kulin Nation, first people of country, on which... Southbank Theatre stands. I pay my respects to all First Peoples, to their ancestors and elders and to our shared future. Um, I'd also like to thank you, um, our subscribers who have supported us for the last couple of years. They've been a couple cup couple of tough years um, and we're still not out of it but um, I'd also like to thank you for supporting live theatre so if you haven't been back in our theatre I welcome you back um, and I'm hoping you have seen a few of our shows so far um, but speaking um, of our future we're, we're set for a very excited um, period with um, the new leadership under our new artistic director Anne-Louise Sachs and, and you're going to hear a lot about that in a minute I'm going to get off so don't worry it's not all about me um, and to Tonight, um, Anne-Louise is speaking to Sally Sara, and we're very fortunate to have Sally um, come down from Sydney. She must be attracted to the balmy winter here in Melbourne. Um, and I, I'm sure you're all familiar with Sally and have followed her career. Um, she is a Jewel Walkley Award-winning journalist and author and now playwright. Uh, she's reported from more than 40 countries as a foreign correspondent with the ABC and was actually the first female correspondent to be appointed to the ABC's Johannesburg, New Delhi and Kabul bureaus. Um, she is extraordinarily um, gifted and has amazing achievements, but one of those other achievements that she added last year was actually a playwright to her credits. Um, her first play, Stop Girl premiered at Belvoir in Sydney last year and it was actually nominated, pretty good for a first-time playwright, uh, for four Sydney Theatre Awards and it was actually directed by Anne-Louise. So you'll hear a bit about that, I'm sure, in this conversation. Anne-Louise, as you know, is um, our new artistic director. She is an internationally acclaimed director, a writer and a dramaturg and has directed over 30 productions um, around the world. Um, she was previously the artistic director at the Lyric Ensemble at Lyric um, Hammersmith in London and also led um, Melbourne's independent theatre company, uh, the acclaimed Hayloft Project. She joined um, us here um, in October and is currently preparing for the 2023 season, so I'm sure you're all excited about that. Um, I'm sure you're in for a fantastic conversation. I'm going to get off. Please welcome Sally and Anne-Louise to the stage. Well, thank you so much for coming out on... Uh, this is a warm evening in Melbourne, is it? I've heard. I was going to come out in a sleeping bag, maybe, <laughs> to deal with the weather. It's so good to have some of the uh, people who've been subscribing to Melbourne Theatre and others, Melbourne Theatre Company and others who are support to come out and hear a little bit from Anne-Louise about uh, her background and also the plans uh, for the years ahead uh, at MTC. So, so welcome. Thank you so much um, for coming out. And, and Louise, it's good to see you as well. Sally, thank you for coming and doing this. It's so lovely. Thank you. Well, I wanted to start off, um, Anne Louise. Do you remember yep. your first experience of theatre? I do, but I couldn't tell you what the play was called. I, um, my parents 
were involved with a sort of amateur theatre group and I remember going into the theatre one night to see a show and it was... Um, I think it was called like Charlie's Aunt or something. Like it was really sort of all the women would like exit the stage and like kick her heel in the air <laughs> and there were like feathers and um, it felt very glamorous to me as a kid. I remember going backstage and just loving it. But I don't think that's why, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe I'm just dying to get back to that sort of somewhere <laughs> deep inside. But I don't think that's really what hooked, hooked me into making theatre. I think something I always sort of loved... Uh, I wanted to be an actor for a really long time and then somewhere along the way I was like, oh, hang on. I actually don't... I don't love performing at all. I just want to be in rehearsal forever. <laughs> That's what I like, you know? Like, I like talking about making work. I don't actually want to be the person sort of doing the same thing. So I think, yeah, something sort of shifted and then, and, and then really I started sort of directing plays and making my own shows. When you were at school, were you a shy kid or an extrovert? I think I, I was an extrovert, right. yeah. I yeah. think I was seen as an extrovert. Um, and I, w I did lots of sort of dancing as a kid and then was in school plays all the time and, and um, directed a, like a little terrible thing when I was at school. And, yeah, so I guess in that sense people sort of had a sense of me as somebody who wanted to kind of do theatre or do drama. And when did you sort of get the first sense of the magic of theatre or the possibility of what it could be? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think this is the answer to that. <laughs> but when I was at university, I this is such a daggy story. Like, I sort of feel a bit embarrassed, but I'm going to tell it anyway. And it's so stupid, right? Because I don't have to. Like, it's up to me. And still, I'm going to tell you. I... I w was part of this drama group at university and they had a space of their own and you could pitch a show and then you would get $250 to make the show and you just had access to that space. And I pitched the vagina monologues, <laughs> right? Which is so, so daggy. But now... but. Um, at the time, it seemed really political, and I remember a bunch of the men in, in the drama group sort of going like, well, it's a bit sexist. <laughs> right? and, and then we sort of going like, uh, no effing way. Like, it sort of it was like pressed a button in me, and then I was determined to put that show on. And it felt very revolutionary at the time in this tiny theatre, and people were queuing down the street mm. to see this American play where women talked about their sort of... about their vaginas. And, um, and I remember thinking, oh, this is, like, something else is possible. Mm. And then I made this show um, called The Caucasian Chalk Circle, which is, a, a you know, a play by Bertolt Brecht, and we staged it on the election night, the year that um, Latham was running for Labor against Howard... And we wrote a new prologue to the play that was about refugees. And mm. I remember genuinely thinking, this could change something, <laughs> right? Like really believing, like, art is a weapon, let's go. And then we came down after the show had finished and turned on our phones and, um, well, nothing had changed had it at that point. Like Howard was still in power and it was, um, yeah, it's a pretty funny and lesson for me. And in the space and the rituals of theatre, what's your kind of favourite moment in that. I remember in Stop Girl the actors were warming up before the audience came in and kind of doing their thing and they were running late and the stage manager said you need to get out, we need to let the audience in and just as one of the actors had left the stage 
the door open and mm. someone came in and that sort of that magical yeah. disappearance and then re-emergence, what kind of stuff like that do you really enjoy? I think I love all of it. Like backstage, mm. Michaela gave us a beginner's <laughs> call, you know, the, the call. I'm a beginner. Beginners! <laughs> <laughs> You're not anymore, you know. Um, I love, I love that, I just love all the rituals. I think I was raised in a very um, religious um, house and I think in a way it's like theatre the ritual of that is sort of so in me and theatre is like my version of that now mm. I think but look I love this empty theatre space I love that like that the lighting rig is so fancy tonight like thank you to James <laughs> who set that up for us like I empty theatres are so special they're so full of possibility oh yeah it's nice to be in a theatre isn't it but yeah I don't know so I, Sally I think I just love Every little step of it is the truth in a really nerdy way. Mm. What are your Melbourne connections and theatre? <laughs> Can I ask you what you lo love about the theatre before I, we talk more about me? Okay. I don't usually let this happen, but uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I've got two memories of first going to theatre. The first time has been remembered for me. I don't remember, but um, the lights went down it was some kind of pantomime, and apparently I grabbed my mum's leg and said, I don't like it in here, it's scary, as oh. it went dark. I think I was about three or four. And then I remember seeing Annie when I was about seven or eight, and just that moment as the lights go down, I always thought I want to tell or, or I want my idea to be the thing that comes next or that mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so those two things. And, mm. and being from country South Australia, it was a big, it was 350k round trip to go to the theatre. It was a big deal. So you sort of put your best clothes on and yeah. things like that. But the as the lights would kind of go down, that, yeah, I always loved that. That is yeah. special. <laughs> I remember my yeah. first show after lockdown in Sydney, this, uh, when the lights went on, I was like, that was when I felt really emotional. Yeah. I hadn't expected that that would be the yeah. thing for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. So these early days of monologues and <laughs> various things, Melbourne, what happened? Okay, Melbourne, Melbourne, yep. Um, what happened? So I came to Melbourne, I came to study at the VCA and I had specifically chosen the VCA because I, well, I'd chosen it and then I had to get into it, obviously, but I decided it was what I wanted because it's a more, it, it was a bit more of a progressive drama school and I had this idea from my university plays that I needed craft, but that I wanted to make work as much as I wanted to um, be in work at that stage. And so I thought, well, VCA is the school where that's possible. And it, it sort of, it was to a certain extent, but also I, I was a, an acting student. And so I did three years of acting training and then graduated as an actor with an agent. And for a little while I was sort of doing that work. Um, but not loving it. Like I'd sort of get sent in to do an audition for All Saints. Remember that um, medical show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the role was like young woman whose boyfriend has dumped her and so she slit her wrists. And I remember sort of going like, I don't believe in this in any way. <laughs> I can't sell this, which is actually the job of an actor is yeah. to sell that and sort of realising that I, I needed to some agency in terms of the stories. I, I can't imagine you as an actor. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Oh, I do see you as a director. <laughs> <I think. laughs> um, so I came to the VCA and then I stayed. I was here for a decade and I met so many wonderful artists then and 
went on to sort of join, you know, Hayloft in the first instance and made theatre with a group of people in, in sort of all the spaces around Melbourne. And really I think of Melbourne as the beginning of my sort of mature artistic life, really. Like it's where I properly grew up as an artist. It's what sort of formed me. The work I saw at Melbourne festivals shaped the work I wanted to make. Like it's sort of, it was such a blessing to be invited back here and to actually reconnect with that community and to to think about I guess what what next in the cultural life of this city mm. too so as a as a director when you get a script for the first time and there's some connection are you seeing a scene of the play or are you hearing particular dialogue or are you connecting with characters or how do, how do you know you've got something that you want to work with? I think I see it. Right. I, um, I think I can suddenly, I can see how the play might work on stage. I, I'm a very visual person, as in I have to sort of have it in front of me in some way. Like if you need me to remember something, you generally have to like have it written and stick it in front of me. And I think that's what happens with a play as well. But story, I'm really attached to story. I read a lot, like as in um, uh, literature. I read a lot of books. And so I think generally it's like the story needs to affect me in some way. And it, the best example I have actually is when um, Belvoir sent me Stop Girl and um, asked me to read it. And I, I didn't really know you then. And I had no idea what the play would be about. And I found myself crying at the end. I've told you this before, so this won't be sort of news to you. But <laughs> I, I mean, that never happens. You just, you never read a draft of a play, or very rarely, and sort of find yourself emotionally that moved. And so that was very much about story. And I think I could see, you know, the women in that final scene together. But, um, yeah, and then that's just the beginning, right? The good thing about theatre is my imagining is just one tiny part of what makes a show, actually. What makes a good director? <laughs> I think a good director is somebody who is interested in serving the play and who is open to the room, so who is alive to what the room, and by the room I mean the rehearsal room and the people in that room, uh, can create together. Um, it's sort of what I was just saying, really, is that the, it's bigger than me. That's why I love the theatre. You know, it's, it's so much bigger than my ideas. It's the collective sort of alchemy of all of those brains and hearts and imaginations working together makes something very, very special. And um, the good director is somebody who is alive to that, can feel that, can throw kind of responsibility to anyone in a room at any point to let them carry that and then can kind of harness that through. So how do you balance that, though, between... You also have to be the boss yeah, yeah, of that room. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Is that hard? Uh, no, it's not, it's not hard. It can be... Um, it can be a bit lonely, I suppose, sometimes to be sort of separate from it and having to make those difficult decisions. Um, there, it often feels like there's a point in rehearsal. I didn't think we'd be talking about things like this. It's good. It's good. <laughs> there's often a point in rehearsal when you feel a bit like the bad guy, like right. you're sort of disappointing people or you're pushing them where they don't want to go. But you know where it's going. 
and you know yeah. that they'll thank you yeah. in the end if it works yeah. and they will not thank you if you don't do that, you know? It's like nobody wants to be in a terrible show. Yeah, and all is forgiven in the end. Now, I'm going to hit you up with some rapid-fire right. questions. Okay. It's like speed dating, if you like. <sighs> Comedy or tragedy? Oh, tragedy. Why? Um, because I think... Uh, I really like the dark stuff is the truth and I can't help it. Um, I think there's something a little bit bleak about me, but I think there is still humour in it. Is the rehearsal room for a tragedy more fun than the rehearsal room for a comedy? Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. Weirdly. I don't yeah. know if it's because everybody needs to laugh more. Um, comedy's hard as well. It's very hard and very technical. What is your biggest theatre superstition? Oh, I try not to say the Scottish play. <laughs> And I don't, I don't know why, but I just think, don't mess with it, right? Like, there's just no need to challenge those things. But I'm okay with people wearing green on stage. What's that? I think that, I don't know, I think that's something to do, somebody else knows. I think that's something to do with Moliere, maybe, or, okay. or maybe I'm just conflating my experiences now. You're not meant to wear green, maybe. And I wouldn't whistle, but I'm not a great whistler, so, yeah. Um, Hamlet or King Lear? Oh, great. Um... Can I say neither? I Ooh. can say neither. <laughs> I can say neither. Isn't that amazing? Sure. There's, a, there's a lot of Shakespeare in the world. Sure. I don't know if it needs more from sure. me right now. <laughs> It'll still happen too. It won't go anywhere. No okay. one has to worry. Okay. Um, Are you're you in worried? Your, you're in your office at Melbourne Theatre Company. The yep. phone rings. Oh. Dame Judi Dench <laughs> offers to perform at MTC for free. Which role do you cast her in? Oh. Sally, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't know what role I'd cast her in. I'd do this annoying thing where I'd ask her what she hasn't played and wants to play across anything. And if it was like a 10-year-old in something, or, do you know what I mean? I'd, just, I'd give her the floor is the truth. I think artists doing what they want to do is the most thrilling thing. What is your favourite, first day of rehearsal or opening night? Oh, first day of rehearsal, hands down. Opening night is sickening. It, I, I can Isn't it? Yes. Isn't it awful? Yes, it what was. What did you prefer? Uh, yeah, first day of rehearsal, but I found out the hard way. So you, you theatre people call it the room and the floor, <laughs> but I was calling it the practice stage, which I found out is not what it's actually called. <laughs> I got a few looks every time I was like, just, we'll do that on the practice. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> um, head a Garbler or a Doll's House? Uh, I've done a Doll's House, so I would now, I think, do Head of Garbler. But I, again, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm tired of... But trying to bend those works into right now, for me, for me. Mm. But a good version of a classic play can also be wonderful. I apologise to the person <laughs> clapping now. Um, <laughs> yeah, for me. And I guess that's what's interesting about this job, right, is that it's actually not all about my tastes. Exactly. Yeah, mm. thank goodness. Have you ever been naked on stage? Do you know? <laughs> I have. And it was in the Lawler Theatre... So just next door, and I, the, the stupidest thing, do you know the answer to this, or was that just a... Uh, I think I do, uh, yeah. The, the stupidest thing is, I directed the show, I wrote the show, and I was in the show, so the only person to blame for that <laughs> is me. But I really thought, and this is where I can be quite um, extreme, I really felt like the story needed it. What do you think now? I think I can't believe I forced myself to do that. <laughs> but it's good, you know, if I ever need an actor to do it, I have some empathy. 
Um, who is the kindest person you have met in theatre? Kindest? Do you know, um, somebody who comes into my mind for this, I, I think kind is probably true, is Kate Mulvaney. Yeah. She is so supportive. She's so invested in making the experience positive, in helping the next generation, in, yeah. Mm. She worked with you, didn't she? She did, yeah. yeah. Mm. Sorry, this is rapid fire, isn't it? I don't, <laughs> I'm not doing very well. What's the biggest injury you've had on stage? Oh, I don't think I've ever had one. Okay. Hope these things are tied down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we tie them down. We do. Um, no, I've lost my voice, I think, is all. If you weren't working in theatre, what would be your next favourite job? <gasps> I went to be a social worker. That's where it began. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know now. And I thought about it a lot in the pandemic because I didn't have a job, like many, many artists. And I, you know, you start to really wonder what security there will be or, or um, mm. also just how to have purpose in the world. Mm. Um, because I hate the feeling of not having any purpose. Um, but I, I don't... I don't know really because all the roads sort of led me oddly back to some version of being involved in the theatre. So mm. clearly this is it. Mm. Uh, which play have you not directed that you would like to? Um, I don't have a sort of backlist of plays. Mm -hmm. I'm not sort of... I, I, one day I would like to do a musical. Um, I think... They, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think they're really ridiculous, but I think that could be... Maybe it's the feathers and stuff, actually. Um, I, it's a really... It can be such a special thing to sort of sit in a musical and be carried away. Um, but no, I don't, I don't know. It just depends in the moment, I think. Like, what, 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 what stories need to be told, not what does Anne Louise need? How, when have you been most scared as, a, as an artist? Not of the world, but of <laughs> the work, the job, the whatever. I am. Um, I directed a show at the Barbican Centre in London, so on their main stage, and um, it was a very difficult process. And I was genuinely scared. I think making that show, and I think also because I created this idea for myself that that this show was sort of make or break me. You know, in a way you do that with every show. Like there's not mm. an opening night where I'm not terrified. Mm. Um, but I, I was very, I was very scared. And I sort of, I don't think that helps, unfortunately. Mm. But what can you do? Mm. Mm. Breathe more, you know? <laughs> <laughs> How much is managing fear part of directing a show, do you think? I think it's a massive part of it. Mm. Partly because I think you want to make sure the room, the rehearsal room... The practice is, stage. The practice area, yeah, <laughs> is, um, is open and feels safe to people. And, you know, we're animals in a way. We can sniff fear on each other. Mm. Um, and also, oh, I, I directed a play for Melbourne Theatre Company. It was my first play. It was a really big deal to be given that opportunity. It was a play called The Seed by Kate Mulvaney, and um, it was on at the Fairfax, and I was very green, as you are when you are given your first professional job, and it was amazing at the time, um, 
like it really did sort of set my career off in a way, but it wasn't a very good production, I don't believe. And it's sort of odd to say that. I don't want to sort of recast people's experiences of it, but for me, I didn't think it was successful. And I... Why am I telling you this? I, um... About managing fear. And, yeah, and thank you. Yeah. And I, I, I got some very awful reviews, as sometimes happens. And after that, I, th I didn't really want to make work again. I sort of thought, oh, that'll do. <laughs> it was a good go. I'll just go back to <coughs> making work in warehouses where I, you know, with people I sort of know and I feel safer. And then I already had this show coming up at Belvoir, as in they'd already programmed a version of Medea, which I um, had sort of come up with this like, radical idea to tell Medea from the perspective of the children. Mm. And again, I was working with Kate Mulvaney and we didn't know what the show would be. Um, we were sort of still creating it. And I think if I hadn't had that next job, I'm not sure actually what would have happened next in my career. But something about everything I'd learnt on the seed and how negative the response was, it felt to me, and actually how vulnerable it feels to be publicly sort of taken down, mm. made me go, well, take no prisoners here, mm. right? Like, mm. the, you know the worst version of this. You have, to, you have to satisfy your version of what you think this play is and mm. be the bad guy if necessary and walk away knowing um, that you believe in every choice you've made, tr like that your integrity is in intact. And I did that. And for whatever reason, that show went very, very well. And it was a really valuable lesson about being, being very scared but being very true to yourself mm. inside the work. That vulnerability <coughs> is at the core of it, isn't it? It's yeah. scary as hell. Yeah. Mm. It is scary as hell. Mm. And I think that's, like, you know, that's what all the artists involved are doing. Like, that's what you were doing when you put Stop Girl on stage mm. for us. And that's what actors are doing when they step in front of an audience. Like... That's actually what makes it the most powerful form, I think. Mm. The sort of rawness of humans sharing, sharing that, experiencing those stories together. So, yeah, you're right. That's, it's crucial. But it's hard to live in that space all the time. Mm. It was interesting during Stop Girl because I was sort of between two tribes. So the journalists were asking about the theatre people and the theatre people were asking about um, the journalists. And there was a lot in common, especially yes. with the actors and the... The journalist, but I just kept saying to friends who'd been foreign correspondents, said these actors are crazy brave, like what they yeah. do and what they will do. The courage of it is, it's pretty wild to be in the room when they're just trying this, trying that, mm -hmm. failing, 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 hitting on something, trying something else. It, it's pretty brave. It is yeah. really brave. Mm. Yeah, in some ways I think it's the worst job. Like yeah. I have so much respect for actors, but I just think, I, I don't think I could do it no, actually. No, Maybe that's it. It's, yeah. It feels safer yeah. to be where I am. Yeah. 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 Why does theatre matter, do you think? Because I think it does have the ability to, to change you. And, and I don't just mean... Politically, I actually just mean to be changed as a person, to leave a space different to how you came in. It's about empathy. And I think that's invaluable. Um, and I think because as, as humans, we want a sort of shared experience. We want to be with other people. And I think that's what theatre provides. 
but also because that you know the Greeks did it to sort of better understand their society, to make sense of who who they were and where they'd been and where they wanted to go. Mm. Like, and that's what we also should be doing with our theatre, I believe. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the work Medea that you were talking about that ended up being performed overseas in in Switzerland and other places. What's it like with the cultural differences in an audience and working with different actors and directors, what was that like? It's pretty wild. Mm. I never imagined that I'd be working in sort of German-speaking theatre. I don't speak German, <laughs> so there's sort of that. Like, I would give sort of long answers like I'm giving you and then my translator would say a sentence to the actors <laughs> and I would think, what's happening? But also learn to be more succinct and the ways and then, of course, I would fail and we'd do it all again. And the directors kind of take the work more by the scruff of the neck in the German theatre? They do, they do a bit. They're not as beholden because so much of the, I think, Western canon, you know, they, they're doing in translation. So, so they, they can don't do what they want. have to mm. be as faithful, mm. which is, I think, a really thrilling um, liberty that they can take and certainly one I enjoyed when I was there doing Our Town by Thornton Wilder. Um, I, we don't. We we sort of didn't talk a lot about what it means for an Australian woman to be in Switzerland directing an American play or this old Greek play. Um, they just sort of get on with it. You know, they're, they're an ensemble of actors in Switzerland, so they just show up between their other rehearsals and um, you know they do the show and they're very uh, robust. I think because they're working more than I am. You know, and here in a way that sometimes the director is the most powerful person in a room. And while they're very into their auteurs, actually the actors are the most powerful people in that room. They're a unit. They all work together and know each other well and you're just someone who's dropping by, mm. um, which I really love. Sometimes it's good to be an outsider though too. I think in London more than in Switzerland, I felt like actually m my sort of Australianness, my oddness to them at times was a, was a real asset because it could sort of cut through things and... Um, I would I like to lean on that when it was useful to me. Mm. Were the audiences different in their reaction in, in Switzerland? Yes, but the kids were different too, you know? Like, they weren't as um, playful. They weren't sort of as naughty in a, in a funny <laughs> way. They, yeah, they weren't as cheeky as our, our kids were. Um, they were a bit German, you know, like a bit serious. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so the show is like it's, it's a whole different thing, as it mm. should be, mm. to be true to that place and those people. Mm. Um, but, but also, oddly, some things do just land in the same way or despite not speaking German, I could watch a rehearsal and as I got more and more familiar, I knew exactly where they were in the play, you know, mm. which is fascinating. That's weird, and isn't can, it? Yeah, mm. and mm. you can see truth mm. in an actor when they're speaking in a foreign language or not. Mm. Mm. So, you've got the keys to MTC, yeah. artistically. Yeah, they gave me a key. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to program a season of work in the first instance, which will launch in September. And uh, I'm really excited about Australian plays, about new writing. So, I'm going to look first sort of to developing a new writing program, building a new writing department, figuring out whose voices, whose perspectives really need to be celebrated and bring them to the stage. Um, I've made so much 
um, new Australian work with you as well. And I, um, I just think it's... That's why we're here, really. I mean, of course, there will still be other productions, classic plays and um, plays from overseas, but we're a state theatre company. We have a responsibility to tell stories about who we are and um, there is so much talent around. Mm. Um, I really want to kind of bring that to the stage. How <laughs> Sounds oh, good. Oh, good, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> we'll do it. How do you kind of see the backdrop now? We've just had a change of government. We've been battling COVID and other things. How do you see the lay of the land at the moment? It's a really um, difficult time, I think, is the truth. Mm. I, I think artists feel bruised, understandably. Um, it's hard to be an artist in Australia, I think, to not feel valued. I remember sort of being in London and realising, oh... When you're working in the theatre there, you're sort of not right on the periphery of society. Mm. It's, it's sort of part of the fabric of the culture there. And I think theatre is so important to so many people here, but we have a lot of work to do to make it part of the sort of everyday cultural conversation in Melbourne, in Victoria, in Australia. You know, it, it's not a, a sort of, for most people, a sort of go-to. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the things I really want to do is, is send that invitation out, open up these spaces and, and make sure that people know that this space is for them, you know, mm. that we're a state theatre company, that we're here and that um, to, to sort of represent them better. Having said that, I think the other thing that this COVID time has, has showed is the... Like tenacity of, of artists in a way, like the um, is that the right word? Yeah. The the it, it, the drive, like people are still creating. There is so much work on at the moment, and audiences are so hungry to be here, and that's really powerful. I, I think in a way it sort of still takes takes me by surprise when I'm come into the theatre and, and one of our actors has agreed to come on with a book in hand so that the show can continue because someone else has COVID mm. and the audience is just right behind them. Mm. They want to be here. They want to be told that story. Mm. They recognise the sort of um, bravery, you know, to mm. go back to what we're talking about, of, of that act and it's like everybody lifts together. So while it's been the worst time, it is also, it's an extraordinary time, mm. I think. Um, I hope that we can sort of take that energy and kind of gallop on forward. And how do you get the balance between bringing work that the existing audience would like to see yep. but also bringing work that might bring other audiences in? Yep. It's such a great question. Um, it's a really important one, I think. Melbourne Theatre Company because we have this wonderful loyal audience who are so passionate about theatre and and they love theatre as much as, as I do is sort of how I like to think about it and I, I, I think it's about story it's about the quality of the work yes but it's about the story it's about the sort of worlds that we can create and I think we can do that for everyone actually and, and, and probably we have a lot of work to do really at, at sharing that work with a, a wider audience, with getting that sort of message out. 
but also opening up these spaces and thinking about whose stories are being told, who has who has the sort of opportunity to tell stories in these spaces, to go back to being given my first job here. At that point, you know, almost all the professional directors working um, in Australia, almost all, there were were women, but most of them were men. Mm. And then everyone sort of looked around again and went, oh, no, oh, no, the women. And then a whole <laughs> lot of women were like, oh, have an opportunity to direct a play. And I think, jokes aside, I, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't given those opportunities. And it's really important to me to look to that next generation who needs the opportunity to mm. sort of own this space. And we will only benefit from hearing those stories. I want to understand things that I've never understood before. I want to be introduced to worlds that I haven't seen before. I'm sort of I'm hungry for that too. I want mm. to be changed mm. and I want to be entertained, but they're not, um, they're not separate things. They don't have to sit at the sort of opposite ends of a spectrum. Mm. I'm not only entertained when the content is sort of fluffy, you know. I, I also want to be intellectually stimulated and challenged and, um, you know, I, I, I guess I want all parts of me to be engaged in the theatrical experience. How much of an ongoing conversation do you want to have with the audience along I, the way? I want to have such a, <laughs> a, a like, um, uh, like large ongoing conversation. Active is probably a better mm. word on conversation because I think the work is just one part of it. You know, I think that's why the part of me that wants to be in a rehearsal room wants to talk about the work, wants to talk about the ideas of the play about the form of the play, about how we made the play. You know, I, I, I obviously can talk a, a great deal <laughs> about theatre. Um, and I think we're not always great at sharing that, actually. You know, mm. sometimes I think there's a sense that this is a bit sacred and private and we'll just give you the show. And actually, I really like having people in rehearsal rooms. I really like opening it up because it is really magic and... Um, and I guess I want other people to, to enjoy that too. Which voices are missing at the moment, do you think? I think we have a lot of work to do um, in terms of our representation in, in race, race and ability, like disability. And I think they're the two, one of the two key areas for me that I'm focusing on at the moment. And how do you open up the pathway so that those people and those stories are coming through the door and that they know you're here? Yeah. Um, I think there's lots of different ways that we need to do that, but it always feels to me like it actually needs to be about a, a sort of openness and a willingness to go out and a really strong awareness of, of the, what the spaces are and, and the... I mean, the knowledge, I suppose, of what the institution has been in the past, but also what it's like to come in into Melbourne Theatre Company, into the foyer or into the theatre or into the offices. Um, I think it's about listening. It's about creating an invitation. So yeah. how, how will this process happen of putting a, uh, a season together? What's that like? Um, it's a lot of reading of plays, really. Um, How many would you get for the slots that you have? Oh. Hundreds? I think... I'm trying to think in the end, like, where we have discussed a couple of hundred, probably. Yeah. And also, of course, we're, like, drawing back on, you know, anything you've ever seen or read as well. Um, 
we're scouring what's on all over the world and I'm having loads and loads of meetings with artists, inviting them in to tell me what they're interested in or what they're working on. Um, so it's really, it's really broad and I've tried to go, you know, really wide as well because I, I want a better understanding of, of who's around in Melbourne and, and what they're interested in and what's on in Australia more broadly. And then you're trying to figure out sort of what, what does this moment need? Um, because we're asking people to gather. So there has to be a really good reason for them to gather. Mm. And it has to be about now, I think, you know. And it could, that could be um, Hedda Gabler. It could resonate now. But yeah. it, it actually, you have to have a reason. I don't think it's enough to just like Hedda Gabler, personally. Mm. Um, just the two of us believe that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I need to know why I'm asking people to gather. I need to know how it speaks to now for myself as a sort of impulse to make the work. What's your read on confidence at the moment for people to come back to the theatre? I feel like audiences are really hungry to come to the theatre, but everybody is, um, is waiting in a way to know for sure if they're sort of well enough or what the week will involve. Um, things have become very sort of um, week by week or day by day, haven't they? Like it's sort of the, the timeline is different. Um, but what we're finding is that, that audiences really want to, to be told stories and people really want to be out with their friends having a shared experience because that's why you come to the theatre too, right? Like mm. you don't just come for the play. Mm. You, you come to share that experience with other people or with your group of friends and to mm. have that conversation afterwards. It's, mm. it's bigger than the work. And I think the more we can sort of harness that too as a company, the, the, the sort of better for everyone. How important are subscribers to this whole equation? I mean, there's everything <laughs> to, to us. But, but, and there are so many ways to answer that, aren't they? But, but actually... It's, it's, sort of, it's not theatre if you don't have an audience, right? Like, we, we are here to tell stories for an audience. That, that's, that's why we make work. If it was just me alone telling a story, it wouldn't, it wouldn't count. So that investment in our, our work in culture is, is everything, really. I mean, I sort of can't state that enough. And the, the sort of loyalty, an audience who is willing to grow with you and go on a journey, who's hungry for new theatre and, and interested in the form of theatre, like that's, um, that's a real gift. So what's the, the main message that you want to give about where things are going to be headed? Oh, I think the, the main message is that... I love theatre as much as you do and I'm so excited to have a conversation about where theatre can go and what theatre can be and a conversation about sort of who we are as a society too and where we want to go. I, you know, the, the takeaway for me, recently I, I met with a group of donors and I met a woman called um, Pat Burke who is um, subscriber four and the subscriber numbers list, right? She was like from the very beginning. <laughs> Pat joined the Melbourne Theatre Company and I asked her what her favourite shows have been over the years and she said Moby Dick Reimagined, which from what I understand was a retelling of the story of Moby Dick in one of those like old wicker baskets on stage 
two actors, I think, literally telling the story. <laughs> One of them had a big stick that was like sometimes the mast of the boat, like a, an act of pure imagination, and mm. it's still in her, in her memory, in her consciousness, which I love. Very different to the theatre that is often on this stage, right? Mm. Certainly in the last little while. And the other thing she told me about was who's afraid of Virginia Woolf the first time. And um, I love that she's been through all the different incarnations and, and is sort of... And is thrilled by all of them, right? Because she should be. Because every, every version of that show is different. Has wait, wait till she sees the Judy Dench version. <laughs> That's it. But what I loved about that story particularly was she said people were getting up and they were walking out. They were leaving the theatre, like, in a hurry. And I just thought... That's fascinating because if I programmed a show and people were getting up and rushing out of the theatre, I think everybody would say that was a terrible, terrible <laughs> thing. But that work is landmark, right? Like that play is like defining, right? So I guess for me there's something very interesting alive there about work that changes culture or challenges us and how we relate to it. And, uh, you know... I. Everything won't be this. We do sort of 12 plays across a year. Mm. But some work needs to kind of push the boundaries mm. a little and challenge us as an audience mm. and make us think a little bit more about what theatre can be as much as about who we are. Mm. So that, that's my, my sort of, you know, <laughs> that's my passion. A, a friend that I went to school with, we were in Midsummer Night's Dream oh. in, in Year 12. <laughs> who were you? I uh, was the tall, plain one, Helena. Strange. Um, and she was Hermia. And we go to see a lot of theatre. But one night in Sydney, we saw two older ladies who, in a basket, had a um, cask of wine. And they were leaning down during the play and just pouring as they had sort of self-catered. And I said to my friend, that'll be us, yeah, like, in about 10 right? years, like, proper theatre ladies. Yeah. So. <laughs> now, we've I got... I was Hermia. Oh, right. Don't you think that's funny? The glamorous kind of moody one. No, but also that now you've sort of ended <laughs> yeah. up stuck with me a bit, Sally. <laughs> I'm following you around. Um, now, we have some questions that um, members of the audience have submitted to us um, beforehand, which mm -hmm. is great. So we've got one from Kim here. Is Kim here? Yes. Kim, yay, Kim. All right, Kim, here we go. Um, what are your thoughts on engendering or making younger people love the MTC as theatre attendees? That's a yeah. good question. I would really love that. I would really love that. And it's as much about the future of theatre and theatre's place in our society as, as anything else. Um, it's something that I'm working on. I think there's a few different angles to sort of attack it. One of it is about accessibility. It's about price. Yeah, because it's very expensive to come to the theatre, is the truth. Um, it's very expensive to make theatre. <laughs> um, but price is a big factor, I think, for young people. Because I think when you're young, you know, you, you want to spend money on something you know. You know, you'll pay to see Beyonce. I'm sure that's not even a young person's reference, is it? Like, I'm, I'm really showing my age here. <laughs> you just here. dated yourself big time there. <laughs> but so how do we get you to take a punt on something that, that you don't know? You know, I think that's, that's a really exciting question for me around a younger audience and I, I think the other thing is programmatic it's what's in the program what stories do young people want to hear and I guess the, the other thing is about education actually it's about engagement 
growing up. You know, they, they say that the audience, when it's sort of surveyed, people who are going to the theatre regularly had their first theatrical experiences much, much younger, generally. I mean, mm. Sally did, right? Mm. She was taken in into Adelaide to see those shows. And so it's really hard to get somebody who's never been introduced to the theatre to just want to wander in to a theatre building, I just lost my mic, did you feel? Um, <laughs> and, and see a show, take a punt on it. So I think it's absolutely all the sort of really brilliant work that the education department's doing and sort of um, really sort of celebrating that and, and expanding that. And, but also I think it's about what's on stage. Uh, I've got a question from Rachel. Is Rachel here? Hi. Rachel, um, beyond the choice of scripts and actors, how could the MTC be regarded as a dramaturgical innovator? What mm. methods would you like to see employed to produce more cutting-edge or avant-garde performances that respond to contemporary and historical understandings of theatre? Yeah. So beyond the actors and the... What was the first part? Uh, beyond the choice of scripts and actors. Yeah, in a way this feels a bit like it's a question about form. Um, I think it's about development of work. So it comes back to the new writing program, essentially, how we develop work. Um, but also, I, so we had the literary department and we've renamed it the new work department and that was quite conscious for me, partly to sort of bring it into line with in international conversation, right? A lot of um, international theatre companies have already changed their departments to that. But the reason they did that is to reflect the fact that all work doesn't start with a script. It doesn't start with a writer alone in a room writing a play. Um, I didn't make Medea that way. You know, Kate Mulvaney and I were co-writers on that project. We made it in the rehearsal room together. So I think, I think it's about having the time to develop that work. It's being open to that conversation. It's also, it's about making sure that the form and content marry, you know, that you... That's slightly thin and nerdy way to say it, isn't it? It's making sure that we find the best way to tell the stories we need to tell, which we did a lot for Stop Girl, didn't we? Like we did. trying to find the form to serve. We did. Your but in story. the first week of rehearsals, friends said, "What's happening?" And I said, "We're um, exploring the space or something." I said, "What's that?" I said, "I don't know, but we're, well, that's what we're doing. That's what was happening on the I practice really, stage." I love. <laughs> I really love how trusting you were, <laughs> Sally. You were so generous. It's kind, it still blows me away because it would have been so easy for you to be, to protect your story more. And yeah. instead, I think because you love theatre, mm. you really trusted us mm. to kind of figure out the best way to tell that story. Mm. It's like such a happy marriage. It's really unusual. And the lead actor, Sheridan Harbridge, sort of went easy initially and then listed off all the traits of me that she'd been playing. She's like, do you really... Because she was sitting like this quite a bit. And I said, I don't sit like that. You do, mate, she said. So <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was quite... It was a little confronting. Uh, OK, is Samantha... Do we have Samantha here? No. I see Samantha. Um, more and more us. drama and theatre oh. teachers are talking about declining numbers of students electing and valuing the arts, particularly drama in schools, when creativity is an, is an employment um, buzzword, yep. um, how do you think we as a society and MTC as a flagship and you as a leader in Ooh, the arts yep. can kind of turn that re rhetoric into action? I think... Well, we've already talked about how important education is, right? 
in terms of the arts and access. I think actually for me this question goes to how we make work. It goes to the sort of culture around the work. You know, we talk too about creativity inside the organisation and maybe that seems funny given we make theatre, but um, actually it's about sort of bringing all of ourselves to solving all of the challenges we have. And you could really see that in COVID actually, uh, like the company's ability to adapt very quickly, to be really flexible and fluid um, is really important. That's not quite the answer to that question, is it? I... I'll drag you into the next one. Go on, do it. You can see my brain slowing down. <laughs> Is Pamela here? Do we have Pamela? No. No, Pamela. Um, what advice would you give a young person entering the industry? Yep. And is it still a worthwhile career to pursue in these challenging times? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, Pam, it is. But gosh, it's hard, Pam. <laughs> Thank you for asking. It's hard for artists. But yeah, of course, it's a worthwhile career. And I think actually COVID showed how much people value the arts more broadly, not just theatre, right? Like TV, film, books. Yep. Like how do we survive? Yep. Absolutely. All right. Um, is anonymous here? Could be. Could, could be. Not be. <laughs> Declare yourself. Um, we've seen a bevy of new works develop through the Next Stage program yes. over the past four or five years. Mm. Will this program continue? And what happens to the works that are commissioned and developed but don't make it to the MTC main stage? Yes, the program will continue in a new form is the answer to new writing. And I, I think I've already said how passionate I am about new writing and about supporting playwrights. Um, the work that doesn't get presented goes on to have sort of all different lives, is the truth. Um, and I think, you know, other companies will pick it up or the artist might end up staging that work independently. Um, and I think actually companies are getting better at, at sharing work in that sense, you know, at finding the right home for a play, which is actually as important as um, getting, it, getting it on, like making sure the context is right for the work. Um, and I mean the scale of the theatre or, or whatever that might be. But the other thing I think to say there is that it's, um, it's like how we measure the sort of success of of a program like that isn't just does that work hit the stage, and of course I want those projects to hit the stage, but it's a huge thing to write a play, as you know, mm. and, and the learning in that process and the growth for that artist and how um, validating it, it can be to be given a commission or to be given those opportunities, I think are just as important as the work itself. So it's, it's not to say that I, I don't think that final step matters, but. Um, just to acknowledge that all those other steps too are crucial for the development of our artists and, and that's what our program needs to do is help artists flourish and make sure that they are growing and developing and, and then able to tell their stories when that opportunity comes. Finally, a question from Peter. Can Anne-Louise foresee her role as MTC Artistic Director ever conflicting with her responsibilities as co-CEO or yeah. does having a co-CEO mitigate the risk of any potential conflict? Well, that's a technical one, isn't it? Great. Um, I don't think so because I think the separation of like business and art is, is actually a sort of slightly traditional idea and maybe goes to that question about, um, you know, creativity and, and um, the, the truth is they're, they're 
so closely married. They're sort of, you know, they're, they're part of the same thing. And um, no, I guess I don't see any conflict is the truth. And I, um, but maybe this is actually the sort of more interesting answer here is that um, I'm so thrilled to be here and, like, to be the artistic director of this company, but it is a company. It is so much bigger than me. There are so many wonderful people who work incredibly hard to to realise every production and um, it's just such a thrill to sort of work with them and have their expertise and their craft and their passion. Mm, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for everyone to for coming out tonight. And, yes. and, and Louise, it's been great to get a sense of where things will be headed. And I'll certainly say from my side, we were kind of... It was sort of like an arranged marriage yeah. when we were put together at Belvoir, kind of checking each other out about, will I trust you with my story? Will you trust me as a writer? And it worked yeah. fabulously um, well and, and a deep sense of trust to hand over quite difficult and private things to you to mould... Uh, in, a, in a different way. Um, yeah, it was an extraordinary experience. So to have that opportunity to have a, a, an artistic partnership with you, um, I feel, yeah, for the people here will now have their own relationship with you as artistic director and as audience members and subscribers and people with a, a stake in the theatre um, as well. So... Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good partnership from my side, so thanks, I look forward to, to watching it all unfold uh, here. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much uh, for coming out. Rug up, subscribe to more shows, <laughs> and you'll see a lot more of, um, of Anne Louise down the track. But thank you so much. Thank you. Can I just say before you go, a huge thank you to Sally for coming and doing this. This is so far below her pay grade, um, <laughs> asking me questions. You are, um, I really felt it, though. I was like, wow, this is intense, <laughs> being on this side. Imagine. Um, thank you, Sally. It's, I'm really so grateful to have you as a collaborator, to have you here tonight. Thank you. And thank you to the MTC team who made all of this happen um, and thanks so much for coming out tonight yeah. to sort of hear me talk at great length. <laughs> um, I'm really, really grateful. Very excited to be here. So thanks. Thank you.